Hello, and welcome back to the Talking M&A podcast. This podcast is in partnership with Bacon McKenzie, and I'm your host, Rob Hartley. The topic of discussion in this podcast will be cross-border M&A in a time of turbulence. The M&A market has boomed over the last few years, but we're now entering an era where macro issues such as inflation, higher interest rates, supply chain issues, and military conflict are forcing companies to take a more strategic view on deal-making. These swirling economic and political headwinds have thrown up new challenges for both buyers and sellers, particularly in a cross-border capacity. New considerations are emerging as key drivers in the thoughts of M&A practitioners. I'm joined on the podcast by Baker McKenzie's Irie Hamilov. Irie is a partner in the New York office of Baker McKenzie and a member of the firm's transactions practice. Irie's practice focuses on M&A and private equity, particularly cross-border transactions. She has extensive experience representing domestic and multinational corporations, private equity sponsors, portfolio companies and financial institutions on their most complex acquisitions, strategic investments, joint ventures, leverage buyouts, restructurings and corporate matters. Irie has advised on large transactions across many industries and verticals, including technology, gaming and financial services. Hi, Irie. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Can we start? M&A was at record levels in 2021, but 2022 is being driven by a strategic response to new macro issues. Can you talk us through the sort of top level changes and how those are affecting cross-border M&A? Um, sure, of course, while we saw a record level of M&A activity in 21 across all sectors, the landscape, of course, has changed quite dramatically since then. And not, not only in the U.S., but really globally. Um, you know, as we know, rising interest rates, inflation, supply chain complications and global political unrest in the first half of 22 have created quite a bumpy landscape for deal making. And while the sanctions climate has really become like the new normal across jurisdictions, in general, I would say M&A activity in 22 is really driven by companies focusing on resolving the challenges of uh, supply chain disruptions, labor shortage and uh, cost of inflation. And all this has obviously caused boardrooms to react with a bit of caution. But for now, I would really say that the slowdown is really just putting the activity in line with a typical year rather than, you know, with a really, really hot market of 2021 on M&A. And I presume this is all leading to depressed valuations and that's affecting deal making. So um, how have those sort of pricing difficulties come into the market and how are practitioners responding to that? Well, M&A activity generally tends to be significantly affected by volatility and uncertainty as it's really difficult to price the deals. I mean, debt financing acquisitions are more costly. Inflation tends to lower returns on investments. Uh, we've definitely seen some cross-border transactions put on hold for the time being because of uh, concerns that the credit markets are too unsettled to finance acquisitions on reasonable terms and that the deals uh, may be priced too high as the deals that were pipelined for 22 may have been priced at the end of 21 or early 22 when the market was in a completely different situation. But then again, on the flip side, there are opportunities for investors to generate really healthy returns as valuations come down and investors can certainly make really bold moves in this market. And you mentioned volatility. I mean, how, how can dealmakers protect themselves from that? Well, what we really seen uh, on the market is, I mean, one way to protect these reps and warranties insurance, this has been popular already for years, but there's definitely been increased use of it. Uh, on top of reps and warranties insurance, there are other insurance um, solutions available like tax liability insurance, intellectual property insurance as well as heightened focus on diligence. 
um, and also to address the uncertainties we've seen increasing use of earnouts, um, and that allows parties to hedge against the uncertainty of future profitability by evaluating performance of the business post-closing. Uh, but as earnings are typically based on results from future peers, parties need to be really careful drafting accounting treatments uh, of earnings. We've also seen more I think, negotiation about calculation of closing net working capital, which tends to be usually quite subjective. So it must be, again, carefully defined in a purchase agreement in order to minimize uh, disputes down the road. And traditionally, parties have just relied on GAAP to determine closing net working capital, which is uh, which has left a number of issues open to interpretation. There's been, um, I would say, increased use of specific accounting policies defined just by the parties to consider how to calculate some of the more subjective areas like bad debt or bonus accruals. Another big trend that dealmakers have had to factor into their thinking is the march of ESG. How much of a consideration has it now become in cross-border m and well, ESG considerations were initially really more prevalent in Europe, but the trend has definitely reached the North America and other jurisdictions as well. An overall trend is that sustainability considerations will take on greater significance. And it's definitely not surprising that both strategic buyers and B sponsors find that ESG developments will certainly impact deal making in the near term. Especially for financial sponsors, uh, what we've seen is that the sustainability credentials of a deal target can influence how fundamentally appealing an asset is. And investors are seeking also whether the company has applied ESG principles, are there guidelines in place that have been adopted? Is there a, a presence of a compliance officer uh, following ESG principles? So in general, there's overall trend towards higher transparency with ESG information. And this is especially telling in cross-border deals where different jurisdictions have different standards. Um, if we can move on to COVID-19, and this is probably something a lot of people want to forget, but um, there's no doubt that COVID-19 had uh, had a lot of effects on uh, businesses and especially supply chains. So how is this playing out in M&A and, and which sectors uh, does it affect most? Well, I think the big impact was really in uh, um, supply chain reconfiguration, uh, which remains a hot topic. And although COVID, I would say, is not the sole cause of it, uh, as increasing prices for labor, energy, and raw materials have also been key drivers. And in some instances, this whole um, change in geopolitical dynamics uh, in order to address it, companies have now, for example, acquired suppliers to boost production capacity and secure its, um, you know, their customer base. Uh, but we, what we've also seen is that the companies have made acquisitions in supply chain technologies like AI. And this has definitely affected companies, especially those that have supply chains across multiple jurisdictions. And uh, and just to note also that as part of ESG focus, actually supply chain visibility is definitely becoming one of the hot topics for investors. And despite um, the problems of COVID-19, many acquirers still remain cash rich. I mean, how, how did the crisis alter targeting strategies, uh, particularly in tech? Absolutely. We definitely still live in a world where capital is generally available and most businesses still have very strong cash flows and strong balance sheets. Um, I mean, the companies will still grow uh, through M&A, enter new markets, acquire new capabilities. But at the same time, also M&A is used to exit businesses and perhaps also narrow their focus. And overall, I would say technology definitely remains uh, overall strategic priority. And that's highlighted by COVID. Because companies across all sectors accelerate their uh, digital transformations through M&A in order to enable faster growth. 
Uh, also, digital infrastructure will be a big player in the near term. What we've seen is data centers and telecom assets uh, are quite valuable targets for especially P investors. And also sectors subject to innovations like pharma and energy will continue as key targets for many investors, uh, the same way they were really in 2021. So the capital is still there in some areas, um, but some sectors must have seen uh, quite a lot of depression on the M&A front um, around COVID. I mean, which specific sectors uh, are we looking at there? Deal making has definitely been less robust in some of the sectors that are still recovering from the pandemic, like leisure and you know travel. But I think once these industries have a really clear visibility to the other side of COVID, then M&A will definitely bounce back. And there are always um, certain innovations in industries that come out of a crisis. And in, uh, in M&A, it seems that COVID forced due diligence into being done uh, more remotely. So do you think this is likely to become the norm? Well, due diligence, especially for legal and financial, being done, that has been done uh, remotely or virtually for years. But the lasting effect of COVID, I think, is that like a complete diligence is now done remotely. That includes like operational, environmental diligence, not always, but at least during the pandemic, we saw that deals can be done when also those diligence work streams are done remotely. And sometimes whether it's just by use of technology uh, through video conferencing, sometimes we've also seen that drones were used for virtual site visits. And uh, sometimes companies also hired local consultants who could do easily like operational site visits instead of the buyer's deal team having to travel long haul. There are a few other issues I'd like to get your opinion on. Uh, Lots of countries are toughening up their rules on foreign direct investment. Where are we seeing these changes and how is it affecting deal making? Yes, this is a huge area of development because while merger control rules, they've been in place for many years in a large number of jurisdictions of foreign investment regulations have really tightened in multiple jurisdictions within the last few years. Some countries like the US, Canada, Australia have had well-established rules for many years, but until recently, many jurisdictions, including many in Europe, either had no specific FDI regime or had a regime that was very narrow in scope. What these jurisdictions instead implemented was a being open to any foreign investment, with the right to intervene in limited circumstances, critical mainly to national security. Uh, for example, we've seen Germany and the UK significantly expanding the scope of their FDR rules uh, within the last few years. In larger deals, we've certainly been doing more filings in multiple jurisdictions now, similar to antitrust filings. And this is something new that didn't happen until a few years ago. The difference with merger control, though, is that foreign investment rules are new and untested and there's a lot more uncertainty about the process. And also the regulators are not as sophisticated, yes, as they are about the merger control rules. Um, for M&A deals, you really have to map out your foreign investment analysis now and not just assume there may be only a U.S. CFIUS filing or notification. Um, investors increasingly need to also factor into deal planning the need to obtain uh, FDI clearances in a similar way that um, in which this has been done for years uh, for merger clearances. And another key area here about the foreign investment rules is that previously um, the investment regime rules apply just quote-unquote like sensitive national security or energy industries and this is now really expanded and in all the deals, we really have to check now whether the foreign impact investment rules are impacted. And the result of this really is that more cross-border transactions now fall under FDI regulatory umbrella than ever before. 
Um, and one interesting thing to also point out is that in the U.S., for instance, the foreign investment regime focuses largely on data cases. In essence, U.S. together with Australia, they're somewhat outliers in that there is heavy focus on data, uh, partly driven by the, uh, by the you know fast digitalization. There's a growing amount of personal data is held by businesses. There's completely different focus on foreign investment regimes in uh, other jurisdictions, like, for instance, Italy will focus on water supply uh, companies. And some of the other European jurisdictions focus on maintaining local employment. Um, and another development in the uh, foreign investment area, what we've seen is that there is a bit of a political momentum in the U.S. to begin also regulating outbound investments, especially when it comes to data cases. Um, it hasn't been enacted yet, but we've seen some push towards this development. And what, what it means is that it will affect investments by U.S. investors in foreign businesses controlled by foreign adversaries. So it definitely sounds like FDI is becoming more prominent uh, in the minds of dealmakers. Antitrust has always been something that's been prominent in the minds of dealmakers. Uh, but what sort of changes are we seeing at present in relation to antitrust uh, and cross-border dealmaking? Um, absolutely. As unlike foreign investment, antitrust regimes across all different jurisdictions, uh, you know, they've been there for decades. The difference now, though, is that within the last few years, there's been definitely more aggressive enforcement, not just in the U.S., but in many other jurisdictions as well. And for deal making, it means that the governments are less willing to um, settle the cases. Um, so as a result, if regulatory challenges are anticipated in a deal, then investors should be very wary that previously available mitigation routes may no longer be available. And the overall the effect of reforms in the U.S. and elsewhere is to make um, cross-border transactions more complex. Uh, investors need to place definitely great emphasis on deal planning and critical assessment of regulatory risk. Uh, including developing a strategic regulatory clearance plan focused on managing the impact of filings and clearances. And this will definitely impact, you know, deal timing. Since, since there is a lot of increase in regulatory, uh, scrutiny, then deal teams should expect greater focus on pre-closing operation, uh, of business covenants. Just because the timelines between signing and closing tend to be longer these days and buyers want to have confidence in the operation of business up until deal closing, but being mindful at the same time of gun jumping rules. So we definitely see more negotiation around uh, pre-closing operation of business covenants. So you mentioned the regulatory environment. Uh, regulatory moves are increasingly being addressed in deal terms. Uh, what are the types of new clauses we're seeing in response to regulation? Uh, so in addition to more negotiation right around the pre-closing operation covenant business, um, because the deal timelines may be longer now, uh, definitely long stop dates tend to be longer these days because we have to anticipate the antitrust process may take longer. Another thing is parties are definitely also paying more attention to the effort standard to obtain merger clearance. There's certainly more willingness on the parties to litigate government agency challenges if a best effort standard for merger clearance has been used in a transaction agreement. Sometimes uh, parties also agree a daily ticking fee that is payable if there is a delay in obtaining a merger clearance. It hasn't been used that often in the past, but I mean, maybe it becomes more popular as a risk allocation method, given the regulators increase their scrutiny for potential deals. Okay, Irie, it was really nice to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Talking M&A podcast. See you next time.